you get more stuff out in television, it's in movies, it's in different fictional works, novels, etc. These ideas, until the reality that was planned for them actually emerges and they're growing up in it. It all seems quite natural to them. And this has been done before. These sciences were understood thousands of years ago. Because thousands of years ago, the big traders that traveled the world, the ancient world, studied the populations that they came in touch with. And if you want to know their weak points, you must study the people if you really want to manipulate them, especially if you want to profit from them or do your bidding for free. Back with more after these messages. Again, reality just doesn't just appear in a different form suddenly overnight. Reality is planned by those who understand the sciences of it, uh, and of course the very rich men who help to finance it into existence, and bribe politicians, and at least let the politicians know if they want to get ahead and get up the ladder. This is how you'll go vote on things, and these are the topics you'll speak about. That's called political correctness. You, you know, you smell the wind. And you climb on board and climb up the ladder. That's what most of them do. Regardless of the fact that the leaders of parties are always pre-picked by Bilderbergers and, uh, and, and uh, Council on Foreign Relations basically has put the people in the U.S. as presidents and advisors for the last 60, well actually it's more than 60 years, it's almost 100 years according to Carol Quigley. And uh, that's how the world is really run. But they also give you realities for for long-term goals, they want certain societies for a war mode, for instance, across the seas for certain times. And then they also know when they're bringing it down back home, the system down, they'll want internal armies. And we're seeing that the stage of internal armies at the moment. And under the guise of teaching the world once again uh, that the masses must have less and less and less, the dream of the ages, of course, of really eternity, has always been the same kind of thing so that the ruling elites can have all the stuff that they want and they can make sure that their offspring, you know, the ones who are Dar Darwinically um, designed to survive, survival of the fittest, they can go on and survive into the future, as the eugenicists uh, have said over and over through their copious books that they churn out. But getting back to what it's about, I mean, George Orwell talked about this because he had studied the technique of uh, the Soviets and the communists. And the communists, remember, uh, were given birth, really, in London, at least the science of it. It was written in London by Karl Marx. And he was financed and put up, basically, by very rich people and the Rothschilds, too, uh, to bring in a new sort of world society. But what's, what's more astonishing is that the British uh, royalty who never stood, stood nonsense from anybody, believe you me. Um, there never really was a merry old England, uh, unless we're just parting after beheading somebody. That was the reality of how England was ruled for long enough. But um, Karl Marx actually held international meetings in London and was given the biggest halls in London to have those meetings, even though his, his whole uh, theories involved eradicating 
the upper elite. So why on earth would royalty give them basically a safe harbor? It makes no sense unless you realize that that was all part of a much bigger, bigger picture of how to make the slaves even work, you know, more efficiently for nothing. And Orwell said, he said, real power is achieved when the ruling class controls the material essentials of life, granting and withholding them from the masses as if they were privileges. Now, what you're hearing today with environmentalism, sustainability, it's the same old rant, you see. It's the same old rant, and just as as in communism, you have people, so-called elected officials of all kinds, from local to to federal governments, giving the same spiel to everybody, uh, that uh, sustainability means that professionals will have to be in charge of dishing out the material goods to the rest of the public. And it's all about, too, bringing down the population, the size of the population of the useless eaters. They don't need so many of them. If they did need, need us all, believe you me, they'd be encouraging to, to breed like crazy. And the, the, the pill and all the rest of it would be taken off the market faster than you could wink an eye. But, no, they don't need us all now. They've got high-tech military and all the rest of it, and robots, etc., and computers. And so it's time just to get rid of the useless eaters, as they call them. But that's what he said. Real power is achieved when the ruling class controls the material essentials of life, granting and withholding them from the masses as if they were privileges. You see? Nothing changes. You see, they just use the same techniques again, change the wording a little bit, and, and say it's to save everyone. It's, it's to save everyone. Now, the whole doctrine of Marx, remember, was based upon materialism and goods and who should own the means of production, etc. And people always think of Marxism as the state having the means of production. And technically the state owned all the factories, technically. And, uh, and technically the state paid all the, the employees, all the citizenry. And the people worked technically for the state. That was the idea. And we've seen through the Rees Commission I've mentioned before, it was done in the 50s, the 1950s, to find out why the big tax-exempt foundations, these big philanthropic foundations, like the Rockefeller Foundation, Ford and Carnegie, et al., were funding what seemed to be communistic movements within the U.S. and across Europe. And uh, Norman Dodd, Senator Norman Dodd, was told, and his, his interview is up on YouTube, in fact, uh, that he was, he was told by the head of the Ford Foundation I think that's now run by the Rockefeller Foundation, who took over the Carnegie as well. <clears throat> I know they're all, they're all intermixed in the same board. But he was told that their job was to change the culture so much in the West, especially in the U.S., that eventually down the road, which is now, they would blend the two systems together, the Sovietized system with that of, of uh, the Western society's cultures. And that is really what the New World Order is. And today they call it public-private. So there's other ways to bring in the same system, public-private, where rather than call it fascism, and see, fascism is all the same. Communism, fascism, socialism, they're all the same. All these things are the same. And it's when a minority at the top run the state and business, basically. That's really what it is. So public-private partnerships are the same thing where... um, uh, 
the people, the public, pay for infrastructure, for building essential institutions of energy supplies, roads, and so on. You pay for the upkeep, etc. And and the company that is given to for peanuts or pennies in a preordained auction uh, get all the profits. That's what it is. So it's, it's very similar, you see, to the Sovietized system. And, and now, of course, we have agencies and and um, governmental agencies and non-governmental agencies that are simply given the rights as institutions to rule over the public. Children's Aid uh, was a charity, remember, it was a, an actual charity, supposedly, and um, now it has official backing. They, they come in with SWAT teams behind them to steal children and stuff like that if the parents are politically incorrect. So uh, there's many ways to see the same thing, because it really is all the same thing. You know, Aldo Huxley, the brother of Julian Huxley, and let's not forget that Aldo Huxley wrote, he wrote Brave New World in the 1930s, where he predicted in his novel, not purely science fiction, because he knew that genetic engineering would eventually create the perfect types of slaves back in the 1930s. How was that? Well, it's because he was born into a very prestigious family, uh, aristocrats, going all the way back, the way back to Darwin. They, they were closely associated with Darwin and actually related to them as well. And they were in, in all the top think tanks and participated in top think tanks to do with projecting the future of the world. Not guessing, but projecting. It's like, it's like guys in the Navy getting together around the maps and projecting where they want to go, where they want to be in six months' time, a year's time, etc. This place around the world halfway around the world, wherever. It's, that's how they run the future. And that's how you could write his so-called novel. And then he brought Brave New World Revisited to show you how this could be made into reality. And he also said, and the interviews are also up on YouTube, that um, it would be very, very possible for a small group of people, very, very wealthy people with scientific background, to control the entire world and the minds of everyone in the world. That was a possibility he knew way back then, way back then. And what he said was something very, very similar to what Mr. Rockefeller said. Mr. Rockefeller said that the people would come to him to bring in this new world system. The people would come to them with perfect docility because their minds of the public would be so worked on by mass psychology, perfect psychology, they'd give themselves up with with, with perfectly docility. And long before he said it, and it's no coincidence, they all say the same things because they all attend the same think tanks and they all work on the same agenda. Aldo Huxley said, a really efficient totalitarian state would be one in which the all-powerful executive of political bosses and their army of managers control a population of slaves who do not have to be coerced because they love their servitude. See, what you went through now with your voluntary servitude idea, uh, and all countries are putting this into play, Britain's doing it, the States is doing it, Canada's put forward a proposal to get all the youth first involved, to get a special indoctrination in ideology, to start serving the, the world system, exact same stuff as the, the Soviets were, were brainwashed into when they were young people, and then 
uh, Obama's even said, it won't stop at that age. They want you to carry on and get older people into it too. And you can carry on serving the world state for as long as it takes, maybe your whole life. This is how it's done, you see. You think this is all by chance. It's all happening now by chance. And every country puts the same enactment through at the same time. We've been at war. See, a new kind of war broke out in the 90s. In the 90s, all over the world, the Berlin Wall came down. The Berlin Wall was down, and everybody sort of breathed a sigh of relief and uh, thought they should be happy for a change and not be worried about getting bombed out of existence and hiding under chairs and, and desks and schools. And I'll, I'll go on about this when I come back from this break because it's very important where it was really happening here. Cutting through the matrix, just discussing discussing reality and how it's really made for us all the time through massive propaganda from a thousand different areas, because everyone in the media is on board, as to say, uh, they're on track, the same track, going the same direction. This is all this is all controlled. That's why you have no conflicting media in the mainstream. It's all on board in the same track, and. When you, you could compare, for instance, the Department of Defense for Britain, this think tank that put out the 90 pages for the future, what they see for the future coming, um, with massive riots starting uh, shortly, uh, up to the year 2030, over basic things like food, uh, um, energy, um, massive unemployment, and so on. That's what's seen all over the Western world is primarily, and... They even said there, in the military, this is the NATO, this is for the same think tank as NATO, all NATO countries, they said that they'd even be, they'd probably have to use um, small battlefield neutron bombs to uh, disperse flash crowds, flash mobs, they called them, that will suddenly get together at certain places. So they're looking for 30 years. So this happened before the financial crash and all the rest of it. Why? Well, they knew it was all coming because it's planned that way. This is the takedown. It's a planned takedown. See, no one at the top lost anything out of the, the financial crash. No one at the top lost a darn thing. Nothing. But remember, you'll find if you read the old um, books of uh, aristocratic Britain, written by the aristocrats, they hated the middle classes. They hated the middle classes, but they needed them to manage the system of their industrial age and also their their empire-building age. They needed them so badly, but they hated them and wrote about them as as like apes imitating, imitating their betters. This is the kind of language they used quite openly in their own books. The communist system, if you look at it, remember born in London, really, and had the same thing, that uh, the middle classes would have to be eradicated. All you would have is the, is the people, the people, and then would have this bunch at the top of the people that would manage all the people's goods and materials and so on. But no middle class, technically. So, 
classes can get built up and destroyed, whether it's a lower class or the middle. Now it's time for the lower classes to get destroyed. Really. But along with that goes the middle class as well. The, the future they've planned really is more uh, along the lines of Arthur C. Clarke's um, book. I think it was his last book before he died. It was called 3001. It was first 2001. Uh, being a very high mason, of course, he knew that this new world order would kick off in all earnestness in 2001. And if you understand even the book and the movie version, it wasn't about space at all. And that's how they write their stuff to each other, you see. And then he had 2010, that would be the big crunch, it's a big, big change, a new system would be born 2010. And then there'd be a lot of changes going on for, for almost a thousand years, to, to 3,001. By then, there would just be this one class left, all the, the ones who were of, of high scientific parentage descent, just generations after generations of high scienti- scientists, basically, and technicians. And, and all the, the lower ones have just died off or became infertile or were sterilized, basically. That's really how they envisage this, uh, this coming uh, New World Order after this present New World Order. It's all done in phases, you see. Like the 50-year plans for something, 100-year plans for another, 200 for another. This is how they plan the future. Look at all the plans of the United Nations. And they actually have that written down, so-and-so, but with a 50-year plan, 100-year plan. The communists use it, too. They all learned it from London. And that ties in with, um, again, getting back to the Department of Defense and their think tank and their projections for the next 30 to 40 to 50 years. That's up on my website in the archive section. And compare it with the U.S. one for the military that came out about a month later, I also got it in the archive section. They're identical. And going back, to tie, to tie this together again, going back to March the 4th, 2009, at the Huffington Post, it says, Igor Panarin, Igor Panarin, says the U.S. will collapse by next year. And who is he? Well, it says, He's the dean of the Russian Foreign Ministry Diplomatic Academy. So he's no small player. He teaches all the the diplomats. That's where the real high ones are that know the 50-year plans and so on. It says, he was seen during his lecture at the Russian Foreign Ministry's Diplomatic Academy, Moscow, Tuesday, March the 3rd, 2009. If Igor Panarin is right, then President Barack Obama will order martial law in the coming year. That would tie right in with uh, the think tanks, wouldn't it? The military think tanks in the U.S. and in Britain. It says the United States will disintegrate into six runt states before 2011. Now, again, back to the think tanks, and then, then you'll see one of the major players involved in all these think tanks um, was Jack Satali, who put a book out recently talking about the same thing and how the states would be broken up into certain regions, independent regions competing with each other. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix, discussing the planned future and reading some articles and tying some things together to show you that nothing's happening by chance and nothing's happening on the spur of the moment through crisis and so on. It's all planned this way. The future's always planned. Those in power never, ever allow the future to run away uh, from them. Never. They have to plan the future to make sure that their offspring are still in power for the next generation. That's how they work. That's really what all things are about in, in their own their, their world, in fact. I'm reading this article from uh, the Huffington Post where uh, the dean of the Russian Foreign Ministry Diplomatic Academy, uh, which is um, Igor Panarin, he talks about the U.S. falling apart, basically. And he says, he says that the United States will disintegrate into six run states before 2011, and Russia and China will, will come to be the backbones of a new world order. They love this term now, don't they? But, but megalomaniacs always do. Panarin said he'd been predicting the demise of the world's wealthiest country for more than a decade now. Remember, Brown used New World Order and said it's a New World Order, the Prime Minister of Britain, at the G20 meeting. It says here, if you're inclined to believe Igor Panarin and the Kremlin wouldn't mind if you did, then President Barack Obama will order martial law this year. The U.S. will split into six rump states before 2011. Russia and China become the backbone of a new world order. Panarin might be easy to ignore, but for the fact that he is a dean at the Foreign Ministry School for Future Diplomats and a regular on Russia's state-guided TV channels. And his predictions fit into the anti-American storyline of the Kremlin leadership. There's a high probability the collapse of the United States will occur by 2010, Panarin told dozens of students, professors and diplomats Tuesday at the Diplomatic Academy, a lecture the ministry pointed, uh, pointedly invited the Associated Press and other foreign media to attend. Predictions from Panarin, a former spokesman for Russia's Federal Space Agency and reportedly an ex-KGB analyst, meshes with the negative view of the U.S. that has been flowing from the Kremlin in recent years in particular from Vladimir Putin. Putin, the, the former president who is now prime minister, has likened the United States to Nazi Germany's Third Reich and blames Washington for the global financial crisis that has pounded the Russian economy. Panarin didn't give any specifics on what underlies the analysis, mostly citing newspapers, magazines, and other open sources. He also noted he'd been predicting the demise of the world's wealthiest country for more than a decade now. But he said the recent economic turmoil in the U.S. and other social and cultural phenomena. Remember what Khrushchev said back in the 60s, I think it was. He said that uh, the U.S. would fall from within without firing a shot. And he was no dummy. So here's, as I say, getting back to this article. It says, other social and cultural phenomena led him to nail down a specific time frame for the end when the United States will break up to six autonomous regions and Alaska will revert to Russian control. Panarin argued that Americans are in moral decline. No kidding. You know, there's a tremendous connection between the culture creation industry in the U.S., based in California, and the Soviet system. A very strong link indeed, because whoever gives you the culture that you emulate, and you always emulate what you see on, in the movies. It's like Plato said that uh, in ancient uh, Greece and Athens, 
you had to you had to by law attend the traveling plays because it was being authorized by those who ruled the countries and the youngsters would emulate what they saw on stage the fashions uh, even any music that was played they would uh, they would copy that and so on very powerful stuff the culture creation industry and the fashion industry and that's what Plato called it too the fashion industry so here is uh, Panarin saying that uh, it break up because of moral decline saying the great psychological stress is evident from school shootings the size of the prison population and it's true is massive prison population and it is a, and the number of gay men likening that basically to the fact that in the fall of uh, ancient Greece etc and the fall of Rome that all of this kind of behavior broke out uh, towards the end as well and that's what they call the decadent society in, in communist terminology turning to economic woes he cited the slide in major stock indexes the decline in US gross domestic products well it didn't take a profit to see what was happening there because it was planned that the takeaway of industry from the U.S. and Canada and elsewhere was planned by our own leaders in cahoots with the big financial boys uh, through the GATT Treaty, first the NAFTA Treaty and the GATT. And getting back to what I said at the very beginning, this major war started in the 90s. We've been in a perpetual war across the world to bring in a new system across the world by utter force all throughout Latin America and elsewhere, they began kicked off their lands, all little farmers, to make room for the big agri-food businesses. The future they've planned is one of massive, single uh, agri-food agri business eventually. It's a conglomerate right now of five, but it will be actually coming down to one. Same shareholders to own the food of the world. One corporation will own the oil of the, the world. One will own something else you need off the world. That's the, the world's plan. And nothing is to stand in its way. And they're using utter force on anyone, even demonstrators, against globalism. That's the war. So getting back to this story, here, it says, a slide in the stock index is declining U.S. domestic products, Washington's bailout of banking giant Citigroup, as evidence that American dominance of the global markets has collapsed. I was there recently, and things are far from good. He said, what's happening is the collapse of the American dream. He insisted he didn't wish for a U.S. collapse, but he predicted Russia and China would emerge from the economic turmoil stronger and said the two nations should work together even to create a new currency to replace the U.S. dollar. And that's exactly what we heard the other day. Yesterday, I read an article from the United Nations who just made the same cry, a new global currency to replace the U.S. dollar. You think it's all coincidence? This, this, this article was back in March. And getting back to Jack Satali, Jack Satali was the advisor, which is the, the real job, not the president, of uh, different uh, French prime ministers, Mitterrand and others. If you wanted to get things done, they, they saw him, not the president, and now he works at the United Nations. And he put uh, a book out recently, uh, the first one he put out was, was called Millennium. I've quoted from that many times. We talked about uh, the decline of commerce and so on from the, the West. That was all done again through NAFTA and the GATT, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, that literally got rid of the industry and forced them all over abroad. But Atali's new one is A Brief History of the Future. Worth reading. 
but it ties all this in together. And he also talks about the breakups of, of, of nations into small, major city-states with basically barbarians living around them, gradually being culled off over the years. Sort of in line with the one written a long, long time ago, getting back to Aldo Huxley in Brave New World. You think it's all coincidence? Nothing is coincidence. So that's the views from a, a guy at the top of uh, a bureau at, in Russia who's basically seeing the same thing as the think tanks for the military in the West. And what we're hearing now is to get to, again, where to buckle our belts and tighten our belts, eat less, uh, consume less, and get used to poverty. That's to get us all ready. But it's really to give get more governmental agencies to get them up into power to take over the mess that they see coming over a long period of time that they want to manage is to take us all down. It's all part of the same plan. All part of the same plan. And remember the eugenics societies, this global eugenics society runs the world. They said themselves that um, they'd find other means to push their ideas across. Well, I quoted from Orwell recently, remember, at the beginning, and uh, George Orwell said, real power is achieved when the ruling class controls the material essentials of life. The material essentials of life. What do you think interdependence is? Interdependence. That means you must be dependent on a system, not independent personally, but totally interdependent, dependent on a system. Real power is achieved when the ruling class controls the material essentials of life, granting and withholding them from the masses as if they were privileges. That's all we're hearing. That's a privilege to do this. It's a privilege to have that. You see? Food and water are becoming privileges. And it's all done under the guise of sustainability. Save the planet. Great con, but it's the same eugenics societies and foundations who came up with this plan. The Club of Rome, the big think tank, it comes up with the, the real sci-fi ideas and then does little studies to see if they'll actually work on the populations of the planet. They came up with the whole idea of global warming and so on. So that would fit the bill. And they even paid folk uh, and paid authors to put out books on global warming would kill us all. Before that, the same bunch had paid the same authors to write the, the, the coming ice age. Anything will do as long as we believe it. And with enough propaganda, we generally believe anything, you see. And we're getting taught now to consume less and get, get used to expecting less. Now, this ties in with this story, too. And this is from the, the Mirror from Britain, the, U, the UK Mirror. And September the 10th, it says, number of climate change skeptics are growing. New research shows one in five are skeptical that man is changing the climate. Scientists have carried out a survey about climate change asking the same questions they asked five years ago to see if attitudes have changed. You see, when they have to do this, you know darn well it's a con. When they have to see if their propaganda is working. That's just what it's for. If it really was happening, it would be self-evident. You wouldn't have to do studies on the people to see what they believe. Do you understand? It's 
quite simple. Just far from finding more people convinced after years of government and media warnings, I should say propaganda, researchers discovered that skepticism about climate change has risen slightly. The results presented by, presented by Dr. Lorraine Whitmarsh, to the right last name for it, in the wetlands, Whitmarsh, a lecturer in, um, listen to this, she's a lecturer in environmental psychology. She's a whole, psych, a whole new uh, science to this, an environmental psychology to see if you're a true believer or a denier. No doubt there'll be pills shortly or special treatment for you, maybe shock treatment if you're a denier. You know. Environmental psychology is all about what do you believe? Are you believing the propaganda? If it wasn't, you wouldn't need any psychology at all. It would be self-evident. And she's at Cardiff University, and it was to the British Science Festival she gave this talk. It said, so double the number of people now think the claims that human activities are changing the climate are exaggerated. Five years ago, just 15% thought claims were exaggerated. Now it's 29%. And it's the highest uh, earners in the UK, those earning over £75,000, who are most sceptical. In general, men are more sceptical than women. See, they're all starting to see how their propaganda is taking. It says... It says um, the old more skeptical than the young, and rural dwellers are more skeptical than townies. One in four think the evidence for climate change is unreliable, the same as five years ago, and slightly more, 23% compared to 21% think climate change is just a natural fluctuation. Well, that was always taught in school when I was there. Four out of ten think scientists are split on whether climate change is happening, and 51% think the media is often too alarmist about climate change. Well, that's their job. Propaganda. The UK is more, is more skeptical than most of Europe, but less skeptical than the USA. Well, thank goodness there's a lot of more people with brains in the USA. The survey was carried out in Norfolk and Hampshire. More than 2,500 questionnaires were sent out and 551 returned to see if people believe in it. Whenever you're asked if you believe in something, there's a con going on. There's a con. What would belief have to do with something that would be self-evident? You see? Remember the, remember the hoax they tried? It was a, a little survey they did across the world on Y2K. Oh, everything was going to stop in the year 2000. Computers, everything, the world would come to a grinding halt. And they were always asking the man and the woman in the street, do you believe in Y2K? And you right off the bat, it was a con. Did some of the aspects of climate change involve uncomfortable truths with implications for our lifestyles? Because that's the whole point, getting us, the peasants, to change our lifestyles. And allow, again, the, the goods and materials to be dished out to us as privileges, remember? People are reluctant to change their lifestyles. No kidding. Some people don't have any concerns for the environment. So if, you, if, you, if you're not falling for their hoax, this is what she says, then, then some people don't have any concern for the environment and say, let's carry on as we are. We're bad people. Because if you want to, if you want to live a good life, then you're, then, then you're bad. You don't care about the environment. That's you branded right away. This is psychology in action. That's why she's a psychology expert in environmentalism. She said, in general, there is little willingness to change lifestyles. People may recycle or turn off lights, but there is an unwillingness to change travel or eating habits. 
These control freaks should just get out of our faces, shouldn't they? Altogether. They eat well, they travel well, they ain't going to be cutting back on anything. They're big, fat, stinking salaries. Are they? So why should you? Why should you? Now, <clears throat> mentioning as I did earlier about how the, the, the ruling aristocracy in Britain hated the, the middle class who mimicked them. Now, and they even had cartoons in the papers in the 1800s and so on of how they'd mimic them, the upper classes, the wannabes. And they made all these jokes about them. And you wonder why socialism has been driven by the elites in Britain. It's always been driven by the elite in Britain. It's all about control over the crowds, isn't it? It's an article here. It's from the Mail Online. Harriet Hartman to force public bodies to discriminate against middle Britain. Talk about middle classes there. This is the 9th of September, 2009. Remember I said they wanted to eradicate them. They no longer need them now. Before they hated them, but they needed them, so they created them. Now they want rid of them. Proposals which would effectively force public bodies to discriminate against middle Britain will be a top government priority. Harriet Harman will say later today. It's amazing how they're going to say things later today, but the press has got the handout already, isn't it? The Labour Party's deputy leader will vow to press ahead with plans to make every authority legally bound to close the gap between rich and poor. Privately educated Miss Harman, the niece of a baroness, is one of the elites who's pushing this down. Even the middle classes. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just finishing up this one little article here to show you that uh, the working class never ruled uh, the Labour Party in Britain. And remember, too, uh, the Fabian Society are the guys who came out with the, the left wing in Britain, and they were all funded by multi-billionaires at the time, like the Astor family. Uh, it says here, Labour's deputy, Prime Minister, or deputy leader will vow to press ahead with plans to make every authority legally bound to close the gap between rich and poor, or close the gap between rich and poor. Privately educated Miss Harmon, the niece of a baroness, will say schools, hospitals, town halls and police would have a socio-economic duty to boost services in deprived areas. She'll renew her pledge at an event on how to implement the proposals which have been nicknamed Socialism in One Clause. Under the Equality Bill, which brings brings together nine major laws, policies that currently consider race, age, gender, disability and sexuality are to be extended to include social background. Oh, oh. Oh, what was it that guy from Russia said? Hmm. I think there's time just for a caller. I'll, I'll try and get Todd in from Florida. Is there you there, Todd? Hey, Alan, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah. Hey, I just wanted your comment on uh, something I saw on Wikipedia today, mm-hmm. uh, that September 11th is New Year's in the Coptic calendar, which is based on the ancient Egyptian calendar. Um, can you comment on that? It could it... very well be. I know that even in uh, high Freemasonry, they start off their uh, their year in March, and, and Rome did the same. Okay. And uh, that's why uh, by the left, quick march, li- literally, you know. 
and uh, the Egyptians did the same thing because that's every every uh, statue and you'll see in Egypt uh, and every stella of a pharaoh has the left foot forward that was March everything's life started in March you see and so it's very well possible this it ties right in with uh, Kabbalism too the Kabbalah and it's definitely important even when they did the, the foundations laid the foundations again September 11th uh, for the Pentagon that time and it's no coincidence they, they, they fought a day short to, to, for this new homeland security place just to, just to get us off track a little bit it's the same thing that's going on uh, so it's, it's very very high but it's also the birth of Minerva that was a self-willed goddess, male-female combined basically that came out of the head of Zeus by her own free will, self-created so September 11th is, is the birth of Minerva and that's what it really means the birth of something new, a new god a new god system that's what it really means Yeah. yeah. okay Fascinating. Well, uh, thank you, Alan, and thank you have a good night. You too. And there's Ed from Canada. Are you there, Ed? you, Alan. Yes. Uh, in your uh, talk there, you mentioned uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Uh, and you talked also about things being planned ahead. Yep. Are you familiar with the book New Lies for Old? Yes. Yeah, because it predicted that the wall would come down. It was published, I think, in about 1984. I think I read it in 1986. Not only, not only that, I mean, Rockefeller led a, a, a group over to Moscow um, back in the 80s, and he told the prime minister there uh, that Europe would be united, and he gave him the year of the unification of the EU with a new parliament. And that literally, there's a big, big Chevron uh, arm with the Russians and the Rockefeller group after that, that went on for about a month, and that's when the planning all took place with the taking down of the wall. Yeah. It's so difficult to get people to believe that a battle can go on for generations as well. And well, they've gone, they've gone forever. That's it for tonight's show, folks. Uh, the music's playing. From Hamish and myself, it's tonight from Ontario, Canada. Be your God, or your gods go with you.